Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything, because that will make me cry. Thanks, and enjoy the show. And then I'm like, hey, we must be live now. So hello and welcome to Detention, live from the RPG Academy. I am Michael. And with me tonight, we have a special guest in Detention with us, and that is Darcy Ross. You may know her on Twitter as Darcy L. Ross. Uh, For a brief moment, I thought we might have been cousins. Don't think we are now, but, you know, still, I like to think of you as family. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So anyone who is not familiar with Darcy, she is a snail scientist by day a uh, podcaster, game master, Contessa associate by night, and the newest associate with Monty Cook Games. You're their community relations coordinator. That I am. You got a lot of hats. I I do. Yeah, and I get into trouble, so here I am in detention. So (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So anyone who is new, this is Detention. This is the live weekly talk show here at the RPG Academy, where we deal with some hooligans and ne'er-do-wells, people who got in trouble while they were in the academy, and we have to stay after class and try to take care of them. It's a very loose format. We talk about some role-playing game stuff. We try to have a little fun, uh, and mostly we make fun of ourselves. So, Darcy, um, welcome to Detention. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, it's really good to see you. I'm get, it's getting me hyped for a catacon. It means it's that time of year. We're getting closer. <laughs> Very excited. Uh, yeah, I'm sure everyone else is tired of me talking about a catacon, but I will definitely be talking about a catacon again tonight. Just recently, uh, you, again, you are with Contessa, and we, I mean, whatever the, like, the secret handshake is with Contessa, <laughs> yeah. you guys are going to be there uh, in mass uh, running yeah. some official Contessa games, and that's super exciting for us. Absolutely. It's such a, it's such a good con. Um, it was such a uh, welcoming, positive space. I think more people should go there. So I'm, I'm excited for Contessa to, to be there in full force. Um, you know, again, me as well. I'm, uh, obviously, you have been one of my favorite people since we got to know each other. Likewise. Um, and again, I, I, I somewhat joke, but the truth is I did actually think we might be related the first time we met. Mm. Uh, it was at the Domestics uh like GM workshop sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it was up in Chicago. It's actually when I recorded the Legend of the Five Rings game with one shot, and I met Jim McClure, and we went to the Domestics. Um, again, it was like you know, like a GM sort of symposium where you ran mm-hmm. a game, and then we had like a feedback session. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have family in Chicago, uh, Ross family, and your name came up. I was like, holy crap, you might be your cousin because I don't really know those people. And we started chatting and I, again, I don't think we are at this point. No. I mean, I looked around, but it's still kind of cool. I'm so happy that we met. Uh, you have Me come too. in our podcast many times in uh, <laughs> all good, uh, but, but I kind of credit you with um, kind of a light bulb moment that I had uh, in gaming where the game that we were running or sorry, that we were playing, you were running uh, there were some different people in the group, different levels, I think, of maybe experience or confidence mm-hmm. level in public spaces. 
and there was a, a person there that I think was probably on the lower end. Mm-hmm. And you would, you know, ask some questions, try to get that person to kind of come out of their shell and, and offer some information. And when they did, you were like, oh, my God, that is so great. And you like, like, we're at 11. And there was a moment where I was like, you know, that really wasn't that good. And then it's like, oh, I get it now. Okay. So that was a moment for me like, okay, you know, if you want people to do that, you have to be really encouraging. You have to make it a safe and pleasant space. Mm. And you were the first one that did that, at least in a way that like connected with me. So thank you. That's super cool. That's, that's really interesting to hear. I don't think I ever realized that I did that, but I've had multiple people, like I see it now. Um, But I think it's, you know, I love, um, you guys do a lot of improv game things on, on the show. Um, and I think I really feed off of feedback from people. And so, or, or like, I love when uh, players will give me a little bit of like, you know, inspiration or reaction. And like that, that really fuels like my creative process and enjoyment of the game. So I think like, I'm not really having fun until somebody gives me some of that. So like, I think that's probably what started the whole, I get turned up to 11 because I'm so pumped that someone gave me something to work with and I get to see what's going on in their head. Uh, but I think, it, I think it totally, it, it serves the pro, you know, the purpose of like making them feel like that, you know, their words are valuable yeah. and uh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I've become more and more of an improv heavy GM mm. for, for multiple reasons, but, uh, but it seems like I'm going more and more in that direction, which I'm totally cool with. Cause I, I enjoyed that. And I found that, you know, again, I don't know how metaphysical you want to get, but when you're dealing, you're giving mm-hmm. energy, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're projecting into the group just with your voice, but with also with, you know, with, with emotion and energy. Yeah. And if you can get even some of that back, yes. I, I think it kind of creates almost like a feedback loop or just makes it easier to go. And, and, and it makes you have more fun and mm-hmm. when you're having more fun. They're going to have more fun most of the time. So yeah. Yeah, I definitely have enjoyed running games more and more the more that I have done that and, and started to let people have more control in the game. I mean, I absolutely mm. was that DM for a long time where it was my game. It was my world. You were just, you know, in, mm-hmm. you see, buckle, buckle in. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and I enjoy it a lot more now that I don't do that as much. So again, thank you for that. Absolutely. I, I think I, I, you know, I'm excited to learn the other side of that though. Like what is prep and world building and how sometimes that's valuable. So uh, that, that's sort of what, that's sort of the, uh, the classes I'm currently taking, I would say. Um, So I I do still do that some, um, mm -hmm. what I, I, my process now is that I usually will spend quite a a lot of time before the game ever starts thinking about Mm -hmm. the game, working on the game, world building, you know, who's important, what the, what's the big story that's going to happen. But then once the game actually starts, it's all very low prep. You know, it's like, I know, cool. I know who's going to be there in the, when the scene starts. And then after that, it's just like, you know, whatever happens, happens. And then it's, before next game, I'll work backwards and go, okay, how does that make sense? You know, like. Oh, I, gosh, I, that's I, the hard part, though, right? Like It is. Ugh. Uh, I did that Oof. just, we played last night. Finally, we played Dark Discover again. It had been a long time. Ooh. And uh, I was at work, uh, working hard. But I was also like trying to work backwards because I'd, I'd said something in the heat of the moment it was awesome yep. and then I'm like wait that makes no sense yeah uh, uh, but I have a few hours to make it make sense yeah so, oh my gosh that's amazing anyway <laughs> let's start off the show as we always do Darcy what are you drinking tonight um so I was away doing snail research in Canada for several months and so I kind of as abandoned my as as one does yes. um and so that was my summer vacation. Uh, and so I kind of cleared out of my house. So I don't really have 
like food or really anything that, you know, constitutes good uh, material for with which to live in my house. Mm-hmm. So I have very cheap whiskey and a little bit of Mountain Dew. So that's <laughs> what I'm currently rocking. I got some very nice gin from Vermont and it's it's at my friend's house. So I can't, I can't have my nice gin. So cheap whiskey and Mountain Dew. See, now you make me think we might be cousins on the other side of my family. The ones here <laughs> oh, from yeah. Southeastern Kentucky. Awesome. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I am drinking uh, L81. Again, it's usually either water or that for me. So tonight I'm splurging on some caffeinated drink. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of already jumped into it, but the first thing we like to do here is extracurricular, where we just talk about what we've been doing for the last little while. It doesn't have to be gaming related, though it often mm-hmm. is. So I'll start with you, Darcy. Besides being in Canada looking at snails, what you been up to? Oh gosh, there was a lot of being in Canada and a lot of looking at snails. But since then, um, I got to, you know, start my full-time job with Montica Games, uh, go to Gen Con, go to a, a trade show where I was like working with retailers and thinking about how game stores think about role-playing games and, and events uh, that have to do with gaming, which was super enlightening because I didn't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. And then I was trying to think of like fun things I've done lately. You know, not not that my job isn't fun, but like things outside of my job that I've done, and yep. there haven't been a lot. But I did watch, I I watched the Orville, that uh, Seth MacFarlane show. It's kind of Star Trek but comedy. Yes, yeah, and there there were bits that were you know a little. It was spotty, but it, you know it was the first episode, and I'm I'm gonna watch the next one. It's got a little bit of heart. Some of the characters I love. Um, the the main female lead is from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., another not-loved-enough show yep. that I champion obsessively. She was also on Supernatural for the, the pilot. Oh, was she? Yeah, she was uh, Jared. No. Yeah, she the was girlfriend the, who The girlfriend dies? who dies. Yeah, that's her. You're blowing my mind, Michael. Oh, my gosh. That's the only episode I've watched of Supernatural, and I was like, I liked that chick, and then she was gone. She, was, she, was gone. Like, she comes back a couple times, like, as a ghost or, like, as a, you know. An yeah. But, yeah, yeah. That, that was her as well. I know her mostly Whoa. from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, so good. Yeah, that's what I've been up to. No, that's that's awesome again. That's a lot. And a couple people in the ch- chat have said congratulations on the Monty Cook gig. That is Thank very, you. very cool. I'm uh, very, very happy. So um, we might actually even dive into that a little bit here in a minute. Uh, as for myself, I've been neck deep in a catacomb planning. Oh, I bet. As you might imagine. Um, I have, oh, there's more people in chat. Hello, everyone. Um, so I put together a list of over like 450 either game publishers, dis- distributors, uh, mm. individual stores, Etsy shops of people I thought might give us free stuff. And yeah. I've been systematically working my way through the list. Uh, I'm through I'm through the K's at this point. Uh, so 160. <laughs> it's down to 400 because a few of them I've deleted once I, I started researching them. They're not not us type of a thing. Uh-huh. Um, but I've actually had a pretty good return. I've got several people that have donated merchandise, uh, some to some significant levels. So I was a little worried that our raffle this year was going to be a little peakish. Mm-hmm. Uh, not anymore. I, I think this might actually good. be the best one yet. So that's pretty exciting for me. Dang. Um, I also watched Orville. Yeah. I know on like Twitter, it's been like getting lambasted. Really? Uh, yeah. And I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, you know, it was spotty. It had its spotty. There but... were a couple moments, though, where I'd laugh. I mean, I, I guffawed. I was like, ah, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I'll watch the next episode. The pilots are usually a little iffy anyways. But... Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm definitely interested in checking out again. Uh, I know Seth MacFarlane, a lot of people just don't like him. I don't know why. But it didn't feel like most, it didn't feel like his usual stuff. And so I'm excited to see, like, you know, it had a little more kind of heart and, um, like a little bit more seriousness and like really leaned into the sci-fi in a way that I wasn't sure if it was going to, it wasn't all bits. Um, and so maybe that 
didn't work for some people, but I'm, I'm curious. I mean, it's basically a workplace comedy Star Trek. Yes. It's just- that, that's a much better way to think about it. Thank you. That's totally what it is. <laughs> yeah. Very, very cool. Well, again, so how do I make that into an RPG? Oh, well, I wish you <laughs> a question for, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other thing I would mention, just in case anyone that's listening is, is kind of like uh, local, um, there is another convention here, which is really close to me, uh, called Sin City Con. Mm-hmm. And we are a sponsor of them, and they are returning the favor and being a sponsor for Catacon. So a bunch of the faculty are going to go there and run some games. It's uh, first weekend in October, mm-hmm. 6th, 7th, and 8th. So if anybody would like to go to that, uh, the games are posted. I'm running a couple D&D games, a Fantasy Age game, and my legendary Scooby-Doo Dread game. Ooh. Which I'm also going to run it at a catacomb. Someone talked me into it, so it, it's it's the first <laughs> thing on, on the schedule was my D and D. Nice. Game. So, or uh, Scooby Doo Dread. Okay, so let's move into everyone's favorite part of the the guest show is when we do some improv games. The first one up is Ten Things, uh, and again, this is a um, improv game where immediacy is the goal. We're going to give each other a prompt to name ten things of some sort, and we will do our best uh, to do that. So. I'll ask, you're the guest, Darcy. Do you want to go first or do you want to give first? Uh, I would like to uh, assign you 10 things to say first. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, Darcy. What are my 10 things? Um, you need to name 10 invertebrate animals. So bugs and squeaky things. Oh, yeah. This is where my Kentucky <laughs> education comes into play. Uh, <laughs> Anything that's not a vertebrate. Snails. Boom. Spiders. Mm-hmm. Flies. Yep. Mosquitoes. Yep. Hummingbirds. Mm. They, have a, they have a spine. They have but... a spine. But again, correctness isn't what we're going for here. That's true. It's just 10. Yeah. Um, oh, son of a gun. Yeah. I, again, snakes. Pretty sure they actually have one. Ooh. But... Someone says not necessarily real. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> there you go. Uh, That's good. Lumps. Gelatinous cubes. Yes. Um, vargils. Because we talked about those last time. Um... <laughs> What else is in there? Uh, Two more. I know. It's killing me. Uh, black pudding. Mm. Beholders. Nice. Yay. Very good. Oh. The, the not necessarily real is clever. <laughs> yes. Good. Thank, thank you so much, Panda Death. That was so helpful. <clears throat> uh, yes. And, of course, now Craig comes in. Uh, worms. Worms. All right, Darcy. <clears throat> Give me 10 positions that you think we will explore on the Orville as far as, like, jobs people do on the Orville. That I think people will we will explore. Okay, um, some sort of janitorial staff, maybe a, like a counselor, the sort of uh, Deanna Troy kind of kind of role. Um, definitely, you know, the people we've already been introduced to. So kind of like a security person, um, pilot. Obviously, we're going to dig into. What about other positions? Okay, uh, like we're going to get into weird. Um, Unrequited love scenarios. Okay. <laughs> I just may be getting off base, but that's fine. <laughs> that's all right. Um, how about like someone who has to deal with like the energy core or something? You know, the energy core is going to get engineering. That's that's right. Uh, um, school teacher. Seven. Kids of somebody. Uh, comms and. Eight. Two more. I thought I had one more. Okay. Uh, cook. Nine. Let's go with, and uh, what's one more? Let's see. Um. Oh man, uh, what's what's a good one? Uh, like diplomatic visitor, right? Oh, Someone who, who like a, a you know a yeah, companion. Exactly. All right, ten. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> ten 
right. ten slow things. Yeah. <laughs> Again, at least yours were accurate. Uh, you know, maybe. Maybe. So, so now we'll move. Stellar photographer. Kind of. Oh, there you go. I was That's actually good. thinking like xenobiologist. You know, I thought. You know, I kind of. How did I not think of that? Because you're under Gosh, pressure. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> So the, kind of the the meat of the show is what we call used books. And this is where we take a look back at a campaign that we have played in. Mm. Maybe one that has failed spectacularly. Doesn't happen. Mm. Uh, and kind of like lessons learned. Like what did it happen in the game that we thought was great? We want to do again. Or maybe something mm-hmm. happened that we want to avoid. So you're the guest. And I have done a terrible job of telling you what the show is going to be about. But do you have a campaign that you can talk about? Well, uh I, I think you kind of know this about me. I am usually a one-shot GM, I, so I, I don't have a lot of campaigns to draw from. I basically have one that I co-ran, and then I have one campaign that's been pretty recent that just has just a few sessions of me on my own. Um, but the one that I, like, I ran with somebody, um, like, that, that, you know, that was a full campaign. So I feel like I can talk about that. Perfect. I learned a ton as my first campaign. Perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. So... Th- Kind of like what was the game about? Uh, you know, any any positive things that you took away as lessons learned that you want to do again, and maybe maybe something that didn't go well that you like want to avoid. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So the the general shtick was it was a Numenera campaign. I, I had a co GM that was running it with me, and it was a couple of our close friends. And uh, so the the shtick was, uh, you know, Numenera is a setting of Earth a billion years in the future. There's all these remnants of technology. Uh, of these really advanced civilizations that are so uh, inscrutable as to seem like magic, right? So there's all sorts of weird tech magic going on. And there's an institution in it that gets like this tiny little paragraph, little page in the book. uh, And it's called the University of Doors. And we were just totally captivated by it. It's a, the idea is that, you know, they're, they're scholars who study doorways and and it's almost like planescapey, right? It's like, you know, metaphysical doorways to places. What is a door? Is an archway a door? Portals between things. But we really played up like this hokey kind of campy University of Doors situation. Um, so they were, you know, basically looped into advancing in the school, in the University of Doors is kind of the, the shtick. Um, so I guess something that went really well is like people got super into their characters. I think the the system and, you know, our approach to the setting really let them you know, established lots of facts about the world. So they felt pretty tied to it. We, they were generating a lot of content that then as Michael alluded to earlier, we had to some, we were like, yeah, that sounds like a good thing. And then afterwards we're like, how does anything fit together? What have we done? Um, and gosh, so th- I thought that the way that they, their characters grew and developed and that, so that was really satisfying to see their relationships amongst each other were challenging uh, at times, really cool. And I think one thing that didn't work very well or that I, I really didn't anticipate was like players who want very different things out of a given scene or out of a given play session. Right. So there was a couple players who had, had no interest in combat and like their characters also basically had no interest in combat. And so sometimes like really stressful yeah, things would happen and they kind that. of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so they kind of had to, you know, sometimes you're in a dangerous world, sometimes fighting happens. And so, but they wouldn't engage with it. And so I was figuring out how to like, split the party and and i think one big mistake i made was like giving the non-combat person equal time to a combat round like i should have i should have had several rounds of combat which you know it takes more time at the table but it it happens like that right before i would switch back to them and so it just like really killed the energy to go combat round combat round combat round or like you know combat person and then switch to the person who's like having this weird narrative 
long-winded experience uh, off to the side. I still think, you know, I'm glad that he was doing what he wanted to do. I just would have handled it differently, and I think it would have not killed the energy so much. I think it totally is a solvable problem, but I really screwed it up. <laughs> All right. Well, and I think that's a great topic that I want to I want to try to explore mm. a little bit. But first, I want to ask: Was there a ranking system of the doors? Like when you started, were you like a sliding door? Did you become a French door at some point? Was there a? Oh my door? god. I wish I wish I had workshopped this with you because we made a lot of dumb jokes and we did not get to that one and that would have been really good. Uh, we did make them do remedial doors work. Okay, great. It was so we had a lot of like puns and like you know it was a lot of like being made to feel small by this you know convoluted system of scholars and haughty people. So it was, it was yeah, very I, good. I guess their parties were like off the hook, right? I mean, just everybody in a room. Talking about doors, I mean, just crazy, right? Oh, oh yeah, lots, lots of weird drugs, doorways in the mind, oh, man. Yeah, you know, right. it was good. It was good. That's very cool. I like that. <laughs> so, to, let's talk a little bit about uh, the idea of because because we talk a lot on our show about session zeros. Everyone mm-hmm. take a because <laughs> every time we say that, we have to drink. <laughs> And usually we talk about, you know, you just want to get everybody on the same page so that so everyone understands what the game is going to be about, things like that, like what kind of level of combat, mm, how people mm-hmm. are expected to engage. But there is a point, and there's there's a rightfully so, a, a time where maybe you are okay with some of the expectations being a little different, but you still, still have mm-hmm. to manage them as the players. So the first thing that comes to mind to me is I recently got to listen to the actual play that Rich Howard did. Actually, I think you were in it on the Masks game. Oh, per yeah. Round. Um, it, which, I'm actually playing with Brendan tomorrow. We're doing a trial of it, so excited. Oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. Yeah, very cool. Uh, but that the game that game in particular, because it is trying to mirror more of a comic book or cartoon, it really did something that I don't normally do in like a D&D game, where it would stay with one character for, quote-unquote, multiple rounds. Yeah. Normally, like in a D&D game, you go through initiative and you're jumping back and forth. But in that case, it's, it would stay with a character until there was a good breaking point emotionally mm-hmm. or in the, in the combat. Yeah. And I don't know that that works perfectly in a and d especially if everyone's like in the same room. But if you're in different places in, you know, like in a dungeon or whatever, I think that's a better way to handle it. It's not go back and forth, but to stay with yeah. one group for a while and then the other. So with that in mind, do you think that would have been a better way to handle that? Ooh, um, compared to artificially, like, yeah, I think that would have, I think if I, I think I was trying to stick to the rules and so, and I was trying to interpret this, um, you know, these, you know, the, the character was, was kind of investigating and contemplating and and doing weird stuff that I I couldn't quite break down into certain actions into the round. And so I was just artificially cutting him off whenever I was like, oh, it's been too long. I guess we should go back to combat. And it was super awkward. So I think you're right. I think letting, um, I, I think that's um, letting the narrative um, and letting the natural sort of story flow. You know, we, we talked about not getting metaphysical about it, but I think to some extent, like reading the energy of the room and sort of how engaged people are, like, you know, there is this like living thing in the middle of us that's the story we're telling together, right? And I think like, acknowledging that of when when it's working and when it feels like it's dragging and and like reacting to it i think that would have much been the better way to go um and i think you know i was an an inexperienced gm still in terms of you know combat too generally so that is i think that's probably one of the most difficult things any gm can deal with when you have the party separated in a way that 
it's hard to keep everyone engaged. And there are some, you know, techniques and things that you can do, uh, but I still think it's difficult. Um, mm. One of the other things that came to mind is Savage Worlds. Have you ever played that? I have, yeah, but it's been a while. Yeah, um, for me what, as well, what mechanic I, I'm came. probably going to misquote it, but I know they have the idea of a scene where, like, someone's trying to disarm a bomb or someone's trying to close the portal. Ooh, and yeah. that's, that's their job. So every round they do a thing that helps get back closer to success or failure, and there's so many rounds that you have to either keep them safe or keep the people at bay. Yeah. And then if they fail, then bad things happen. Cool. So that could be another, even again, doesn't have to be in Savage Worlds, but the same thing that, okay, you're closing the portal. So yeah. That, that'll be like a skill challenge that you're the yeah. only participating in. Um, and the other thing I thought of was maybe give them like actually a physical object, like a Rubik's Cube. Like you're I working heard this that. real time. We're yeah. Have combat. You need to be done before we are type of a thing. That's such a good idea. That's something I've always wanted to, that's something I realized about combats with the kind of people I run with is that like combat doesn't have to just be combat. You can, you can weave in these puzzly elements or a social like complication that will engage those people who are otherwise not as excited to, to deal with like the mechanics of combat generally. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I think I run with a slightly skewed crowd where they, they have really little interest in combat. Although my, my second campaign has a bunch of players that love getting into their abilities and getting into the grittiness of combat. So that will be a challenge. But, um, um, I'm right there with them. I, I think combat's the least interesting part of the game. Yep. Oh, gosh. So, you know, which is still where everybody gives me crap because I play D&D. I like D&D, but I play D&D unlike D&D is probably meant to be played. Oh, that's so cool. But it's still fun. But, I still enjoy and it. And like you said, you know, combat can be complex. And I think that that can pull people in who wouldn't otherwise care. It doesn't, you know, you can build things, you know, hooks into it. Um, I'm, I'm not good at it, but I recognize that people like you can do that. Well, so I want you to do that. I'm what they call an idea man. Like I can come up with a good idea. I don't always execute <laughs> those ideas very well. Excellent. Excellent. So can you think of any other techniques uh, or things that you might do differently in that type of situation? Ooh, good question. Um, I mean, and let me interrupt you, and we'll throw it out to chat if there's anyone in chat. Yeah, I would love to hear. Throw it out there. Absolutely. I, I I go back and I feel like it's you know it it doesn't actually haunt me at night, but a little bit. I wonder should I even have let that person get away from the party so quickly because they were in like another part of the facility. They just like walked away from the combat, and like should I have could I have drawn them in? Could I have? Should I, at the moment that they were disengaging, should I have um, had, like, an opponent come up, you know, and, and block their path? How much, like, and, you know, maybe give them the opportunity to to still, like, show me that they care enough to get out of this room and, and get past it? Or are they intrigued by, oh, suddenly I have to deal with the combat? So the question of whether I even should have let it get that far is a little bit up in the air for me. Um, so, I mean, and that's a particular type of player and i agree that probably on the spectrum they're mm-hmm. a, a minority yes but again if you have a table of five or six players you could certainly have that type of person in your yeah group. and again our standard answer is i won't say it so we don't have to take a drink but the thing you do before the game starts and just tell everybody you know we're going to have combat every session or every other session or whatever yeah just that's what you need to expect and you need to make sure that you're you're okay with that yeah um i'm trying to think of some other ways though that we could keep those people engage in a way. And again, I don't know that particular person. Right. Was it just they didn't like combat, like they didn't like rolling the D20s or, or doing damage? Or is it just 
Yeah, they're just fundamentally kind of uninterested in, uh, like, violence of that nature in games. Sort of the, the back and forth, like, combat proper, like, is, is just a concept that's not super interesting to them. They would rather be getting some some sort of unearthing some mystery or story. I wonder, so you talk about Session Zeros a lot. Um, one thing... Every drink. I, every drink, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> like, once you've had a few sessions and you're starting to, like, figure out your characters and you're starting to figure out where this story we're telling together is going would it make sense to have some kind of kind of structured check-in of like hey how did you feel about these things that we've thrown out there so far like oh i've been kind of into the combat or like every time we do x i check out um is there a way to do that because like you know i i ask for feedback after every session everyone's like no it's fine and then they leave right. and i'm like no but like i need i want your yeah. feedback please so and that, I, that's well and we, we've had that conversation as well that absolutely um, the thing you do before the game starts can also be part of an ongoing process. It, it shouldn't just be once and done, especially if you're going to play a long campaign. You're playing every yeah. You know, this is going to be what I call a forever campaign. You run until everyone <laughs> dies or until you win or whatever. Yeah. Usually because someone moves away. Right. Um, but, yeah, you should absolutely do check-ins. But I have found the same thing, that if I ask for feedback immediately after the game is over, I get very Ooh. little. I get, yeah. oh, it was great. I had fun. People packing up their stuff. Yeah. Uh, I have found a lot more success to do it like through email after um, or not even do it like as a group to like, target one or two people specifically and ask yeah. specific questions. Don't just say, how know, was how it? Was it? Yeah. Say last game was a lot of combat. Ooh. Are you okay? Kind of lead. You know, yeah. or, you know, was there any decisions I made that you didn't agree with or anything you would handle differently? And you know, mm-hmm. as long as you're in an atmosphere and environment where you can take feedback, both. Yeah. Yeah. And critical, yeah. And absolutely, I think that's something that should be a regular part of a game because we're all friends. We're all hanging out. Ooh. And we don't want one person who's just not having fun, but they don't want to say anything because everyone Absolutely. I, I have one thing to, to add to that. I think, so the second campaign I ran was for uh, a, a group um, of like, you know, five players uh, and, and none of us were, were dudes. So it was me and it was a whole bunch of um, uh, women or genderqueer folk. And, uh, and it was the first time any of us had played without a dude in the room. And I think most of us play in games where it's predominantly, you know, uh, male friends of ours who are, who are awesome and are not in any way problematic. So, like, but but there was something weird it's about a energy. It, it totally is, and it's and it surprised all of us. And so, and, and just the like the way that that women are kind of socialized and men are socialized. A lot of times in games, like I, I really struggle with my ability to like volunteer a thought, or at least I used to for a very long time. And, and kind of speak up quick before someone else will get a word in. And that's something that seems to fall along, like, kind of gender socialization a little bit. Like, I would agree. And, yeah, and so, you know, when when that's done really bad, that can be, like, getting talked over. But it doesn't have to be like that still. And so we realized that that wasn't happening and that we were all the, – the, the pacing of how we were speaking up was very different. And there was just a lot that felt very different. And so after every session, we were – you know, we were having like long conversations about why did this feel so weird? How did that go? And right. and so we really were unpacking stuff in a, in a really cool way. So I almost wonder if I couldn't, if I wouldn't like to build like dinner after a game instead of before to kind of get that post game talk. Cause I, I thought it was really cool in terms of character building too. It wasn't just about the dynamics. Um, I got so much out of that, but usually my games are in the evening and we'll like eat in the beginning or in the middle and then we go home. So See, I'm, yeah. I'm the same way with movies because I'm a Ooh. next role. Ooh. Movies is probably not my other big hobby. 
So my favorite thing to do is to go to a movie first and then go out to eat and then Ooh. go watch the movie. That's you know, a brilliant idea. Normally you eat, go to the movie, and then you just go home. You know, whether it's with your significant other or friends, you know, you don't really talk about it. You know, maybe a couple, you know, like, what'd you think? But you don't yeah. just, like break it down. And, and so yeah. same thing. I think that makes a lot more sense if you can game early and then have that whole, like, whole discussion. I think yeah. Very valuable. But I wanted to touch on, because um, I absolutely agree that in the just social norms, men are more mm-hmm. likely to talk over, be more aggressive. Mm-hmm dominate conversations mm-hmm. if they're allowed to. But I have found that like in convention games I've played recently, I've seen some very bad examples, unfortunately, of GMs who weren't able to manage that. And in some yeah. cases, it wasn't men and women. It was just like an alpha man, for back of a better term, versus other mm-hmm. people. You know, there were times, and I'm not trying to make myself the hero, but I would literally say to the GM, you need to talk to them. Or yeah. or I would say, character, I'm sorry, what did you say? Yeah, that's give them an the opportunity. best way to do it. Uh, because they just were not getting the word in edgewise. And I think that's a skill, you know, we talk about being a good GM and there's a lot to it, but I think reading the table, it's hard to teach. I don't know that yeah. you can teach it, but yeah. I think it's a valuable skill when you can see that, Hey, Sarah's not engaged. Why not? Is she not care about combat? Yeah. And, you know, Steve has been dominating the conversation or Sarah's been dominating the conversation. Yeah. Um, so one of my techniques is I sometimes will just stop the game and go around the table and just like, yeah. what are you thinking? What are you doing? What do you want to do? Yep. And just give everybody equal time. And that way I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not, you know, it's yeah. everybody gets equal time. So anyone listening, if you've had a, you know, had any issues with that, that's, if you're the player, I don't know how well you do that. As a GM, it's easy to right. control the table. So I guess I'll, I'll ask you, since you might've been in that case, is there anything as a player that you would want to do to maybe offset that? If you feel like you're being talked over, much like I'm doing now in the show. No, no, you're not at all. You said a whole bunch of really interesting things in there. Um, and to, to kind of turn it on, on its head, because, you know, I think, like we said, there's some there's sort of like gender lines that, that are happening too. But I was at a, uh, at Gen Con, I was on a panel that was, um, uh, it like the title was something about like, uh, you know, women game masters, right? It was kind of the, the three panelists. And we had this like really cool, big, diverse room full of um people with all sorts of questions, a lot that came down to like, how do you handle dynamics at a table? I think that's one of the, the biggest things. And something that really surprised me, but I, but I actually found I resonated with was like this, a, a couple of women were like, I GM for my home group, but like, I find myself um, skipping over my boyfriend a lot unintentionally because I'm, I'm trying to overcompensate for not favorite favorite, you know, giving him favoritism. Um, and so I think like you can go the opposite way where, and, and I find myself doing that for f- close friends too. Cause like, you know, Oh, we have a good relationship. So I know they'll speak up when they want to, but maybe that's not the case. And so I almost wonder if sometimes like you can think you're, you're doing a pretty good job at, at spreading that spotlight around, but because of people you really trust and care for you, you almost overcompensate, like not focusing on them. Um, and so I was trying to, someone was asking for advice on how to deal with that. And I, you know, like you said, you know, one solution is to be really kind of rigorous about um, pointing at a person and saying, hey, like, I'm really interested in what your character would think about the situation and like giving them that space and sort of going, making sure you kind of work your way around the table. I almost, you know, Jim McClure talks a lot about um, the, you know, the, the number kinds of fun, the seven kinds of fun. And he, he says, and I've never been able to pry the system out of him, but he says he, when he's running a one shot or something, he'll have a little sheet of paper and he's, checking he has everyone's name and he has the seven kinds of fun 
and he's checking boxes as he sees how they're engaging with things. And I almost wonder if a little grid like that may also not help you, you know, I don't know what you would want the metric to be, but I can imagine it helps you make sure you're focusing on how each of those people are engaging. So one of the things I've said before, there's a billion podcasts, there's room for a billion more. But even if you're not going to podcast, record your sessions, whether it's your iPhone, just something on the table. Heck yeah. Out of everything I have done to make myself a better GM, playing other games, playing with other game masters, playing in other conventions, I, I really believe listening to myself as I edit is the number one thing that's made me a better GM. Man. I started listening to, that was awful. No one's listening. Why, why did I have to repeat that five times? Yeah. Oh, wow. I could tell everyone talked in character for like 20 minutes and I didn't say a thing. Yeah. That's great. So yeah, oh, and that's, that's so smart. Yeah, you, know, you can't do it at the table at the time, but yeah, you can you know just listen to it on your way to work the next day, whatever, and then just listen to oh you know that whole game. Sarah never said a word. Yeah, that's something you're going to catch when you're listening back to it. Um, that's a great point. Uh, the the games that I ran um, with a table without any uh, dudes in it, we recorded it, and we're, we're not going to release it or anything, but we kind of recorded it because we knew we were playing intermittently, um, and. Yeah, I, I think I would like to do more of that. And, you know, you kind of have to have, I always wonder how like a big microphone kind of changes people's performance style too. Yes. So, but like you said, it could be an iPhone plopped on the table. It's unobtrusive. Um, that might be the way to go. That's really smart. I, I upped my volume a little bit. We did a pre-show test and I actually was a little loud. So I lowered myself. I probably overcompensated, mm-hmm. probably just overcompensated again. And now it's probably too loud, but you know, it, it, let it, us know. Yeah. So, but yeah, absolutely. I think listening to yourself, um, GM is a, is a fantastic way to get better. And I just, again, I hate to be that guy. Oh yeah. It's eight types of fun. I don't want, oh, I don't want, you. I don't want Jim to like, you know, be <laughs> mad at you or anything. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> no one tell Jim to yeah, keep no, the secret to your grace. Yes. So, um, yeah, and actually, again, I'll tease this again. Jim and I are working on a secret project. You may have heard some of that on the Twitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're almost done. We actually, we I expected this to take like a year before it would ever be out. That's why, that's part of the reason why we were doing the secret thing and teasing. <laughs> I thought it'd be a year. We're going really fast. So there's actually a good chance that we will be able to release those episodes this year. Oh my gosh. I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be pretty awesome. We've had a couple. I don't think I know what it is. No. That's really, There's only like four people that we've sent a couple episodes. Jeez. And uh, so far, the feedback has been very, very positive. So usually right after a catacon, I'm dead. Yeah. So I don't have any, you know, time to edit or whatever. So I think the goal is I'm going to try to get it done. And then the post a catacon, that'll, that'll be when those episodes come out. So so if anybody likes Jim's running games, thinks I add anything as a player, I think this is something that you will find interesting. Oh, that's so good. Um, I, I have one more point to make on this of sort course. of player engagement thing. And it's just uh, my emphatic insistence that everyone should try co-GMing sometime. That the tool with which I use to, to navigate it is I take a postcard or a little like a, you know, index card, and I fold it into a little triangle, right? Like a little um, triangular prism. And I have three things written on each side. There, there's or one thing on each side. It's like, um, I'm going somewhere with this. So it's an indication to the other GM, like, hold off. I'm going somewhere with this. The next one is um, jump in anytime. Like, I'm doing fine narrating the situation and adjudicating. But, like, like if you have an idea, come come, come, bring it in. And the third one is, like, help. Like, jump in. I am, <laughs> I am like, spinning my wheels. Um, and what I found was, like, that that tool is 
is really good. But also the, the GM who's not kind of on at the moment can be reading faces and, and watching for engagement. And so I think I learned a lot more how to read, like certainly my players, but I think tables generally and how people, you know, you get that moment to, to take a breath and to look around the room and kind of read body language. And it was super helpful. So I, if you don't mind, I want to touch on that a little bit because I have Ooh. never actually co-GM'd. I've done rotating GMs before. Yeah. And, and this has actually come up. I, I actually think we had someone at one point ask a question for the show and I didn't know how to answer it. So what is co-DMing? Give me the I'm five. Explain it to me. Oh, goodness. I, I think people do it differently, but I can tell you how I do it. Uh, so it's it's that um, I, I forget the initial idea of, of how we, how we got roped into it. But, um, I had never run a campaign before. I was kind of intimidated by it. Like, like I was telling you, I, you know, the whole, and I haven't even really written my own adventures yet. So I was so brand new at, um, you know, writing my own stuff and, and like creating, a, a story for players to play in that's not based on a book or something. Right. Um, so I was really intimidated by it, but I wanted to engage more with Numenera and, um, there were a lot of players who were excited. And so I, I drafted uh, Liz Sander into it. And and so I think some people, we we started out as like, I know the mechanics really well. And so Liz was kind of working on more of the big story arc. She likes to think about kind of a bigger scale um, campaign level story than I did. And so when during play, a lot of times she was filling in, um, she was kind of uh, contributing a lot to how the story was flowing. And I was being, you know, I would be miss mechanics, right? Like sure. someone had a rules question, but when we prepped, we also, you know, I felt like it was a very even split in terms of prep. So some adventures, some sessions we kind of prepped for together and we felt like we, you know, Oh, I, I really feel like I know this NPC. So I'm going to handle their, them. we would like divvy up some things. I'm like, Oh, I really know this location. I know how to talk about it. Um, and then sometimes one person was busy. And so I kind of had the general, like, this was kind of my whole session and she would, um, kind of jump in and, uh, like facilitate. And then there were tons where it was all her and I didn't really fully know what was going on, which is why that, like, you know, pointing to the, the little, like, I have an idea, but you know, uh, this is your show sort of thing would, would work really well. So yeah, that's how we we did it. Um, so so I guess my my first question would be, so this was a campaign, not a one shot, right? Correct. So did you sit down together and talk about like what the campaign was going to be about, or did, or was it like one person's story and the other person just sort of jumped in to help, or was it like was it both of you? Good creating? question. It was both of us from the start, which I think was really cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, I didn't even have. I didn't have anything of a plan. We were, we, we sat down with nothing and we were just flipping through the core book and like, what do we like? What don't we like? University of doors, kind of a cool structure. We made some puns and we were like, well, now we have a university of doors campaign because we're too addicted to these two puns. And and so it was interesting too, because I think the tone that we lent, that we came up with, right. I think we have, we generally, we gravitate toward different tones. Like I like whimsical, but a little, little darkness and, and seriousness. And she's like, really like, I don't know, like, like off the wall, goofy and bright. And so I think the, the campaign like came somewhere in between that, that was super cool. Um, and, and it worked pretty well. I wonder if we had had really different styles, how that would have worked out yeah. because those are kind of adjacent, but still different. Right. It's still, it was still interesting to be GMing a campaign that I feel like 
I never would, this never would have gone the way it has gone without the both of us there. Right. It was something more different than the sum of our parts, I suppose. That's very, very cool. I know again, people have been listening to the show for a long time. Uh, I want to be a writer, That that's become the joke that, you know, people didn't know that I've, mm. you know, I've written stories. I've written a novel that apparently is terrible because no one will ever read or publish it. But back when I was first getting into that, people uh, don't publish lots of stuff. That's, well, that's true. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but I had a, a writing partner and we were trying to Ooh. work on a story that uh, we would alternate chapters and basically yeah. we had the antagonist and the, pro- the protagonist and I would write one and they would write the other. So that I love that. It would actually feel different. Yeah. Uh, again, much like it. Again, I'm an idea man, not really good at mm-hmm. executing. Uh, but I still, that, that kind of reminded me of that. If you could have someone that you were compatible with, but you did have a bit of different style, yeah. you could maximize that. Could that could be powerful. At, at yeah. The game. So, oh, Ian that's had so asked, cool. when you were co DMing, uh, yeah. did you have characters that you were playing in the game, or were you both just the DMs? We were both. Uh, I- we were both just the DMs, so we didn't have like a DM PC sort of thing that was accompanying the players. But um, I think we, over time, we kind of took ownership of certain NPCs, partly because we're not very talented with voices. And so if one person had a voice, we were like, guess guess this is your character now because I can never do that voice and it would be sad not to have it. Um, and slash also, you know, different NPCs have different ties to bits of the story, right? And I think a little bit of ownership... Um, sort of split out over, over time. But I think we always, you know, even, even at the end, we were kind of jumping in and modulating each other's um, like DMing. So yeah, we didn't have a DMPC, but we NPCs it's, and also like we love, you know, we have soft spots for certain NPCs that we can't get enough of. So of course we want, we want to act those out. (laughs) So uh, I'll give a a bit of a horror story of my rotating GM duties that we, uh, I ran a game well, I was part of a rotating GM uh, up in Cleveland. I know I'll talk about this at some point on the show. Probably the most successful campaign I've ever been a part of. It lasted for several years and, you know, it was actually kind of coherent. Wow. Um, but there were Mine a couple of things that didn't go too well. Excuse me. You have to be careful when one GM introduces an NPC, or in this case, an NPC faction, and then you take over and you don't necessarily use them the right way, I guess. Oh, yeah, um, I can imagine. So the GM that was in the game before me, because we would basically rotate, like we'd run basically a, a scenario. It could last, you know, one or two sessions, that type of thing. And then we would rotate. He introduced this, like, it was like a female assassin group. And they had these, like, ridiculously powerful poisons. I'm pretty sure that there were no rules. Like, I think it was yeah. just sort of a, oh, you got hit, you fall asleep type of thing. You know, it's like a knockout poison. Yeah. And he introduced one of them that just about took out like our toughest character or barbarian character. Wow. I then turned that into an entire traveling circus, uh, an entire female circus that oh, not yeah. everyone was part of the guild, but that was like how they traveled. Yeah. Yeah. And so there were a bunch of these women that attacked the party. They were killed. And so of course the party like scavenged all their arrows. So suddenly we had like 60 of these oh. powerful knockout poison arrows that oh no never supposed to be in the hands of the pcs you know oh god yeah it was it was pretty much almost the end of the campaign when i did that just knock everything out no matter what we were fighting like they would shoot it then we'd look at that dm and go okay is that thing asleep now do we need to roll no they're asleep okay uh because it just it was an off the chart knockout poison oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) nice so anyway again we're having some chat there i think i got a little bit off track um, no, so, I so again, at least now, if someone asks, I can say, well, go talk to Darcy. Um, <laughs> I think that is very, very cool. 
Yeah. I have a question for you yeah, about your, your long-running, rotating cast uh, game. So, um, you know, my campaign ran for several months, but because of scheduling, it, it wasn't that many sessions. Um, and I still feel like every session so much happened um, that, like, you know, it, it became, incre- you know, increasingly, maybe not increasingly difficult, but um, it, it required a lot of prep. Uh, later on to think about where we've been. And then we had a hard deadline of like, people are leaving for the summer. Right. We need to finish by this time. How do we possibly wrap all, up all these threads? And so it was much more limited in scope in, in, in like number of sessions than it sounds like yours was. So I almost wonder, do you feel like it would get harder to make sure you're on the same page over time with that co-GM after you've built up all of this shared world? Because like there are more things that you guys have introduced that you may not have fleshed out or, or talked to each other about? Like, how, how did you feel that went over time? Well, and again, I don't know that this is the right way or the best way, but the way mm-hmm. that we did it is we had one GM that was sort of like the main GM, and, and that mm-hmm. was me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so think of it like a – like I always use examples of Star Trek Next Generation or X-Files because I'm old. Nice. You had no, some they're... episodes that were tied into the mythology, and then you had some that were just like one-offs. Oh, cool. So they're almost thematically different, yes. like built in. Like, again, with you building this into the... Um, so yeah. I would, anyone, when I ran them, I was always trying to advance kind of the meta plot. And then when other people would run, they would mostly do one-offs. Uh, sometimes we would do like secret handoffs. Like I'd tell somebody like, hey, before yeah. your game's over, I need you to introduce this, this NPC. In. Nice. So they wouldn't know that it was actually my NPC that I was introducing. They thought it was that person. That's uh, so cool. But we also set up uh, the way that it was structured... We all just kind of bought in. We were basically mercenaries. We were all good guys. Yeah. We were part of. It's called the Rob. The the oh crap. It was something of the Robert of Ken, and he was like our founding member. Mm-hmm. And so basically, we would go off on these mercenary missions. So every every mission was self contained. If yeah. somebody like whoever was DM and their character just didn't go, and it wasn't a big deal. And yeah. So we would all go That's off, great. and we would have an adventure, and we would solve a problem, like you know, like a team or something. We would come back, and then. There you go. So that structure worked very well for that type of game. We had an overarching plot. We had these, you know, easily digestible chunks of mission. And the other thing that I really liked about it is we had a couple of us that were like experienced GMs. And, you know, we would probably do three games to one to other people. But the people who never experienced before, we still made them run at least one. So everybody so in the group cool. got to run. Like you only have to run one session, one night, two hours, you're done. But we kind of pushed everybody into the GM chair. It was it was a safe space, and it was also so contained they couldn't really break anything unless they did a TPK, and then we probably would just have ignored it. Like it was a dream, and then yeah. we start over. Oh, that's so cool. Um, I, I have to share one thing with you. Um, we I I just played a really great fifth edition Curse of Strahd campaign. So Ravenloft. Um, I got to play a moody half orc warlock who is like try you know trying to break his pact and get a better one and, and had really <laughs> trade up beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, it was so cool for, for lots and lots of reasons. But one of my favorite things to come out of that was, I, th- I think it's built into the adventure. I haven't read it yet, but there's, there's a, there's a dream sequence sort of like sent to you from Strahd or like all the evil that's in Barovia. There's all sorts of evil things that could have been sending you these nightmares. Um, and so there was a session, there's a point where we all, we're going to get a little nightmare scene. And uh, our, our awesome DM, Peter Smits, came up with the idea to let us run nightmare sequences for each other. 
and, and sort of, you know, kind of, and really take the reins however we wanted. And so it was, you know, kind of about an hour each. And we, we had these conversations with each other about, it was almost like secret Santa, the like air dream edition. Right. Um, So we talked about what sorts of things that character was really struggling with. And and we, so we kind of, it was cool to, to, to find out what they wanted to see on screen slash what each person like what question marks they had about the character. So like, you know, my, my character's background was that I was a, like a hermit and, uh, and I was kind of an, you know, we knew we were outcasts from my community and, you know, just from the, the little PC generation tables that I rolled, like one of my flaws or bonds or one one of those things you generate is, um, so bad. It was that like, I fell in love with someone that I couldn't have. And Ooh. so like I fell in love with someone forbidden. And so I was like, who is that person? Like it's never come up in game yet. And so I want my nightmare to be to like, tell me that, like, I want, I want the, an answer to that. And, you know, we all had these different questions that we kind of wanted answered or dealt with in some way. And it was super cool. I had a, I spent all my effort on making a playlist that uh, was an, exactly an hour long and it moved through different seasons Ooh. for this werewolf and about her. And it, it was like, it, I was so happy with it. And, you know, everybody had different shticks and um, it was one person's, you know, total first time jamming and they're kind of a new gamer generally. And they killed it. Um, it was haunting and terrifying. And I'm like, I am terrified for you to be behind the DM screen. Please. <laughs> like, good God. Right. So I, I really like the idea of rotating jams as kind of a, we, we all trust each other. Like here's an opportunity to, and especially if you can build it into the narrative where they don't feel like they're going to screw up something that you've built. Right. It's really brilliant. Well, very, very cool. Thank you so much for sharing your campaign though. We got way off track. It still Sorry. was a great conversation. I think it was, I mean, I've, I'm just like soaking all this in. I think it's amazing. Hopefully the people in chat and people listening in the future will agree, but yeah. we're not done yet. We still have to do the, the part that everyone comes for. Where have our fingers been? So for anyone again, no, who might be new. I thought uh, I had stalled. <laughs> no, 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 we still got to do that. It's, it really is the, what people come for. Um, so it's another improv game called Where Have My Fingers Been? And we will give each other a prompt. And it's a little scene that we have to create with little people. And uh, we try to have a beginning, middle, and end. Doesn't doesn't always work out that way, but we'll see. So again, okay. Darcy, you're the guest. Would you like to go first or give first? I guess I would like to see how you do it first. So I will poorly. give you poorly. Poorly. Yes. <laughs> Good. All right. So we have to start with a song. That's very important. Okay. Where have my fingers been? Where have my fingers been? Uh, your fingers have been, uh, they're waiting outside a, a movie release, the midnight release of a movie. Okay. <sighs> I can't believe we've been standing out here. It's like, it's like 30 degrees. I, dude, why, why didn't you wear a coat? <laughs> Because I didn't really, I didn't check the weather. Like you have an app. It's it's October. We're seeing it. It's a scary movie in October. You should have known to wear a coat. Yeah, you're right. I guess so. Hey, do you know that person over there? No. Uh, and that's where my fingers have been. Because I'm oh my terrible gosh. at that. Oh, good. <laughs> no, that was better than I'm going to do. I'm so afraid of this game. Oh, I just, no. I, I know Trust, lots of improv yeah. games, but this is terrifying. It's just like when you're a DM and you don't know the rules, you actually do a better job. You will probably be fantastic. So, <laughs> and again, you can't be worse than what I just did. Oh, okay. goodness. So first, though, you have to sing the song. Uh, where have my fingers been? Where have my fingers been? You All are right. on the bridge of the Orville. Ooh. 
and the trouble alert, like the red lights just came on. <laughs> uh turn the ship to port. Um, why, why, sir, but we'd be directly uh, blindsided by, by the, uh, the bad guy's lasers. Uh, I have a plan. Um, uh, sir, you've gone mad, mad with power. <laughs> uh, just do it. Um, and then they, they turn to port <laughs> like so. Um, uh, 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 execute the uh, Adama maneuver. Zoom. And then they're out of it because it's the Adama maneuver. This is terrifying. This is just as terrifying as I thought. Oh my god. Again, brilliant. (laughs) Better than I've ever done. And I love that you brought in the third person. Perfect. Again, you're top top of the class there. (laughs) Fantastic. Goodness. Okay, so for the last part of the show, uh, we like to do, it's called cryptozoology. We talk about a monster, something that we have used in the past or maybe something we want to use in the future. So we talk about what what we've done with it, what we might do with it in the future. Uh, you being you, we are going to step away from our usual and get away from the D&D monster manual. Uh, and we're going to talk about Numenera. So do you have a favorite Numenera monster you would like to talk about? Oh, favorite's too hard. You can't ask me my favorite of my children. There are too many good mollusks in Numenera. Um, but I have one that, um, true to form and true to its nature in the book keeps it, it like, it shows up in many, many one shots I run. It, it like, it comes to me and, and it became big parts of both of my campaigns. And, um, it, it really became a big part of, you know, the one shot podcast AP that I ran. Numenera. So it, it just, Numenera. <laughs> and so I have a real soft spot for it. I think like. I, I love seeing how people react to it differently. And then I sort of roll with whatever their mysterious assumptions are. So okay. without further ado, <laughs> should I introduce it or uh, should you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so it's from the Numenera core book and it is uh, the Philethys. So I don't know if you can show, let's see, there it is. Um, it's pretty dark, but it is this really tall kind of cloaked figure with um, like a red cowl and this glassy or stone uh, oval cylinder in its sort of face area. And they're these mysterious like looming figures that kind of show up and are, are always like watching um, and potentially momentous occasions. And they seem like things seem to get a little weird when they're around. They, uh, they seem to speak in riddles or in not even riddles, like beyond riddles, right? Totally um, non sequiturs except every once in a while it seems weirdly appropriate. And so there are these mysterious creatures. Uh, and I feel like, you know, it's just my favorite GM intrusion. So that's a mechanic in the cipher system where you kind of, uh, you bribe the players with uh, some experience points to pull the narrative in some weird direction that none of you were expecting. So maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's ominous. And I just love GM intruding that they sort of see this out of their corner of their eye. And so they just kind of keep popping up throughout the campaign or the one shot. And, you know, players come up with all sorts of weird theories about why they show up. So that's actually probably, I don't want to say my favorite type of monster because that's a very broad statement, but I love the idea of the monster or the creature that it's not something you fight, but the fact that you notice it means <sighs> something. Yeah. But, but it, it means whatever you think it means, or it might yes. mean whatever you yeah. think it means. And I, and I love that, you know, this is a momentous occasion. 
Yeah. Why? Yeah. You know, does that portend someone's death? Does that portend some great change? Yeah. Maybe they were just at the bus stop and this time there's nothing happening. Exactly. But yeah. the fact that they see them, it's going to, it's basically going to make them paranoid and make them start being like self-conscious. Again, it's like the microphone yeah. in the middle of the table. Everyone's going to yes. be like, are we being like, watch? I love that element of a creature that you introduce to the story. That's not just something you poke with a stick until it falls. Yeah. Out. Absolutely. Um, and, and like you said, like it makes them ask questions and, and the nature of their questions is kind of revealing their own fears or their own interests, you know, that that's tell, that's speaking to you, their engagement, right? It's telling you stuff they care about, what they fear. Um, so I just love them. I think they, they show up everywhere in all my games. Um, so is there one time other than the one shot, which I'll, if anyone listening isn't aware, Darcy got to run a game of Numenera on the one shot podcast network. Uh, you can go, it's a it's a typical one-shot episode, which means it's really cool. It's really fun and really funny. And these creatures were in there. But other than that one, is there a time that you've used them that you were like, oh, it's like it was just savory. You loved how the game Ooh. turned because of their presence. Yeah, there was one. And I think it was almost, you know, maybe I'm just hooked on it because of the visual. But uh, the, these were following a specific character. Um, uh, the character is actually John Harness, who you you may know. He's been to a catacon, and uh, he's kind of he's the he's the the player who um, really couldn't care about combat too much. So he's the one who um, in my campaign. Was, now that you, you say know, that, I totally understand. Yeah, yeah, understand. yeah. Yes. It's it's very John. Like yeah. he's, he's upfront about it. He's not uh, trying to screw me over or anything. Um, but he his character had a really strong tie to the Philethus, the Watchers, and over the course of the campaign, we kind of figured out what that was um, very very slowly and mysteriously, or and question mark whether he really figured it out right but uh there were moments when you know he was up against this like glass wall that extended all the way down to like the core of like a planetoid right so it's almost like this glass wall bisecting a little like a spherical world like kind of the size of a moon right it it was the moon um so there's this glass wall uh and it's got kind of a slice of um I feel like I'm getting too into the details. It's a glass wall with a lot of stuff behind it. Um, and, the, the, you know, John's character is, like, looking up to it, and he's trying to investigate, like, what's behind it. And he's got his face up to the glass, and, like, you know, the philethus is is just there. He's, like, you know, right up next to it. It's just glass separating them. And I think it was cool to play with how they had shown up in the background before, and to suddenly have it right here was, like, a real escalation in whatever the heck was going on with these things. Uh, so it was an escalation in, uh, in, in the experience of these things. Now that's, that's very cool. And I think that's one of those things that like I could use them in my game and they would feel very different than yes. using your game. Absolutely. Cause, Cause my first thought, cause that, that's just the way my mind works is that I would want them to, to, to discover something important about these. Like the first time I use them, I probably wouldn't cause I want to set that seed where they're there and they're watching something important happen. But then the next time, again, they find when they inspect it, they have a chance to look up in that face and what's inside there, you know, and get it, a nugget of something. is it a little green alien, like taking notes? Is it another universe? Like you look through and you see stars being born and galaxies. Like, like it could be whatever. And it can be anything. It doesn't have to be the same thing that would happen in your game. If they look in, which I just, I think is awesome. I love that. Absolutely. Um, I, I would wonder Depending on the player, I, I think it could be fun to leave that up to the player too, right? Like, that can be a lot, you know, some players are like, yes, I yeah. have an idea about what this is. And some players are like, oh, I wanted you to tell me. Like, some, some yes. have the fun of, like, getting told. So you'd have to read that. But I think that could be really powerful. That's really good. 
And that's actually, again, just to very quickly circle back to that, one of the elements about being in a game where you know the whole story and everything's planned out and people are just exploring versus an improv type game is that something that some people enjoy. Like I enjoy yeah. being in a game where I get to make up stuff. Yeah. Love that. But I know there, there are players who, who want to believe, rightfully or not, that I already know what's behind every door. Like if they open a door and I tell them what's on the other side, that that was already decided. Right. And they don't want to be the sort of uh, open the door. What do you see in there? I don't yeah. know. You tell me. So that's, yeah. that's, again, that's another thing for the thing that you do before the game starts. It has a zero. In that the we will not speak of. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so that people, you know, you, you know what their, their level of that is. Like, do they want to be part of yeah. the game or do they want to experience? Because both, both ways are valid, but they are a different experience. Absolutely. Um, one one thing, uh, just I, I promise I'll get back on track, but no, yeah. Invisible Sun is a game that's coming out um, by Monty Cook Games that's very different from the Cypher system. It's it's surreal fantasy. It's got a lot of mystery, and it's all about secrets and revelations and things like that. Um, and so in addition to being very different in tone from anything else I've done, like I'm curious, I, I think before I can run it effectively, I will really have to sit and think about how to run a good mystery and you know, even if there, I can I can still work in some some player players giving me stuff. But I I feel like you know a mystery is a very it's a very different kind of game yes. than anything else I run. And so I think that's that's one that I need to take a master class in. So if you have any suggestions for that, you should definitely hook me up. We we do have a couple episodes that we've done on running mysteries. You might again I don't know if they're the right way or the best way, but they are a way. Uh, but I do agree that a mystery is the, probably the one type of story that I don't want to be able to create. At least I don't want to be able to create details about the mystery. You know, again, like I want to have free reign on the edges. Like I can create yeah. an NPC, I can create a place, but I don't want those things to like reveal the answer. Um, I do know this is like way off subject, but I, I was reading a forum post probably two or three years ago about someone who had never played Fate before. And it was the first time they played Fate and it was a murder mystery. And Basically, they got to the bad guy and the DM said, is this it? Is this the person? And the group got to decide whether or not the person they had found was actually the killer or not. Oh, fascinating. And he, this person, I assume it was he, I don't know, but was like, I didn't, I didn't want that. Like, I, I was very upset about it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I could see that, you know, that yeah. if you don't know what you're getting into, that could be very disappointing. And if you've really hyped yourself up for like, man, I'm so excited about this revelation. Like, you know, if I feel like if the game is about that, you know, even I as a player almost want to, to discover it rather than decide it. Like I, when I'm, I'm, I've become such a monster to GM for God, I feel like GMing has ruined me. I don't know if you get that feeling, but like, I, I have this like need to, to get a little bit of narrative input, even if it's like, what pattern is on this vase in this hall that means literally nothing. Like if you could just, you know, give, like, feed that monster of, like, me being able to input just a little detail, I, like, I, like, calm down and can be a human again, but right. I need it. But but you're right, even even I, like, I like some of that discovery in a game that's more about a mystery. All right, very, very cool. Uh, so we're basically to the end of the show, and that's where we throw it out to the audience to ask us any questions. Um, there's usually a bit of a delay. So, um, the questions can be about role-playing games. They don't have to be, they can be about anything. Uh, but while we're waiting for chat to catch up, Darcy, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, people can find me, like you said, at Darcy L. Ross, um, many places, Twitter, uh, G plus a little bit, um, 
I guess Facebook and things like that. Um, I guess I can be found blogging on occasion at Gnome Stew, a wonderful blog that, um, you know, we have, we, we pay guest bloggers a small amount, but more than zero. Um, and so if you're interested in blogging, you yeah, proud sponsor of the RP or of the uh, catacomb. Good, good. Yeah. They're great people and they write brilliant, um, you know, GM thoughts. So I, I think that's a, a great place to go. I, I mostly do like interviews and spotlights. I, <laughs> so, um, but, I, but I'm learning and as I'm, as I'm learning, I'm slowly writing more, you know, better things, I suppose. Uh, you can find me doing things with the Contessa, um, which is contessa.rocks is the URL that you'll want to check that out. And they're actually, they're going to be at a catacon. They're going to be at a couple other little cons coming up here. So um, expect to see them around. And if you uh, identify as part of any kind of marginalized group, um, you should talk to them about running a game under their banner. And it's it's just a way to sort of show, hey, you know, we exist here. And uh, and if you are also part of this marginalized group or part of any, like you should feel welcome. Yep. Just kind of a solidarity. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think yeah. I think a hundred percent of our chat is going to be at. Um... A catacomb. At least it seems yeah. like almost everybody in chat is going to be there. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. Absolutely. This is going to be fantastic. So we do have a couple of questions. Uh, so briefly, in case anyone doesn't know who I am, at the RPG Academy, if you put that in anywhere and something comes up, it's probably me. Uh, detention, <laughs> we do this every Wednesday, 9 p.m. till roughly 10, 1030. Uh, generally, I'm here. We have a couple rotating uh, faculty members who usually join me. We try to get special guests uh, like Darcy to come in and hang out with us. I think this has been a fabulous episode. I'm so happy that you got to be a part of it. I should say it differently. I'm so happy you were here because I think you're the reason why it was excellent. Yeah, uh, I had so much fun. I, I feel like I have a lot more to ask you about, so hopefully no, I can come on some other time and we can talk about brilliant. that. Brilliant. Uh, but we have a couple of questions that are aimed more towards you. So for someone who's generally a D&D player, what's your pitch for Numenera to get them to try it or switch? Goodness. Uh, so for someone who's normally a D&D player, um, the, the setting can grab a lot of people. I think the setting... Uh, really clicks for some people. The, the fact that it, it hits a really cool balance uh, compared to other settings, like about feeling like there's lots of good fluff to build off of, but there are enough open spaces that I don't feel like it's so built in that whatever I come up with is going to contradict something ever. Um, and it's just, you know, I think that there's a lot of reasons why the setting is really cool. The art's great, but I think mechanically um, what really attracts me, you know, there are some things that I, I actually port over from, the cipher system into D and D um, because I'm a monster and I, I can't live without them. And so one of them is this GM intrusion mechanic. And so, uh, you know, I, I just feel like it as a first time GM too, it was really empowering to say like, you know, I'm not screwing over the players if I'm ca- like complicating their life. Like they won't get mad at me because a bad thing happened because I'm bribing them with XP. But also it's just a reminder to me, like I should be complicating their life. Like that's what keeps things interesting. Um, and so what I usually do is I, in D&D 5th edition, like, I'll take two inspiration points and I'll, you know, tokens and I'll hold them up and say, hey, if you let me complicate your life in this way. Exactly. And there's, I talk a lot about why, why that's really cool in my podcast, Cypher Speak, that I forgot to plug. I think um, I mentioned earlier you were on one, but I didn't t- say what it was. <laughs> yeah, so Cypher Speak is the podcast. Um, and I guess the other thing that I think is really big is... That, that I really miss when I go to other systems and why I think it's a big draw is like uh, the cipher system has, uh, and, and Numenera, the cipher system is what powers it, has um, some buttons that players can press to um, to sort of modulate, you know, the, the statistics of their success. So what I'm saying is like they can spend effort. So 
you know, if they're going to make a climbing check or they're going to make some role to try to climb a cl- up a cliff, they their their investment in that role succeeding is going to change if they're you know just doing it and trying to save some time versus there being like you know there's a, a like horde of some sort of horrible squeaky monster running after them and so to empower the players and let them say, hey, this is important to me. I'm going to put points into really uh, making this easier for myself as I expend effort to try to get better at it and to try to succeed. Um, like, I really miss that in other systems. It gives me that that lever of like, no, this role is important. Um, in lots of other games, uh, deal with that. But I, I don't think D&D quite, quite does it. The inspiration is the closest thing, which right. gives you advantage on a role. Um, but uh, Cypher has sort of a re-roll mechanic and also a try harder and uh, to succeed at this role mechanic. And that really, um, I may have made it sound unnecessarily complicated, but it really sings for me. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't say simple. It's, I would say elegant. It's a pretty elegant yeah. system. Um, and I, just because you're here, I'll mention it again. I did the last couple of days. Um, so I've, I have some opinions about Numenera, not necessarily <laughs> negative, but there were some things that just, you know, didn't, yeah. didn't click with me, though there are some things that Not did. for everybody, yeah. Um, but I got to play in a game with Danny, uh, who's also part of Contessa, who will also be at Akathicon. Danny's amazing. She it was by far, not, I mean, it was, it was massive degrees of separation, uh, her game being my favorite game this past Gen Con to the next wow. game. Uh, <laughs> she did an amazing job. We also had an amazing table. Uh, we, n- no one ever refused to GM intrusion. Like there yep. was not one time where anyone did. It wasn't even a question. Uh, and it was one of those games where like sometimes when I'm playing D and D, the mechanics disappear and mm-hmm. we will go an entire session and never roll a die. Mm-hmm. And those are my favorite sessions yep. when we almost never or never touch the die. We're just in character the whole time we're talking. And I love that. The Numenera game that I played with Danny was not like that in any way that the mechanics were always present but they were fun to engage with. And I oh, think that's, that's why that's why it felt different to me is that even though I never lost in the moment of the role play, it was still just a lot of fun. And I don't think I've ever been at the table, I actually never, I've ever been at the table where everyone was invested in every role. Ooh, like every yes, time someone yes, rolls, like everyone point. was looking. And, yeah. we had, and I'll be quite honest, I think there were other GMs around us who were getting mad at, at Danny. <laughs> Because our whole table was just erupting in, like, every time somebody got a 19 or, like, a 20 especially, like, we would just huzzah. And, like, it was such a big deal. It was such a big deal. And yeah. I don't think I've ever had that in a in a game ever. So I think that's why I love that game so much. Even though I didn't get lost in the role play, the mechanics were very enjoyable. They added to the experience in a way that I haven't experienced in a long time or if ever. So it was a lot of fun. The Super other thing cool. I'll say is that. Like I, you know, I grew up playing original D or not original D and D, basic D and D. Quickly went to first, then went to second. And you know, if you played a lot of D and D in the old style, there's these Gygaxian dungeons where you would have like a sentient shark next to a troll king next to a lava monster. Makes no sense why they're yeah. next to each other, but it was made interesting encounters. I feel that that's basically what Numenera has done is they use technology as an excuse. To be able to have the yeah. weirdest shit next to each You're other. You're so right. And that's, yeah. that's what it felt like. The game that Danny ran felt like an old-style Gygaxian dungeon where instead <laughs> of it being magic, it was science, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and every room was interesting. Every room yes. was a little puzzle. We yes. with, and it was, it was great. So loved it. Oh, Thanks that's really cool. For running. Uh, and then we had another question for you. Uh, what are you running at a catacon? Because uh, Craig wants to play in something. Oh my gosh. I'm really excited. I am at least, I, I may try to think about one more thing I could run, although I'm taking like a red eye at 
midnight 30 on Saturday to oh. come from the Monte Cook Games annual summit to, to get there. But I'll be there all day Saturday and, you know, all, you know, Sunday uh, till the afternoon. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be on the whole time. I just won't sleep ever. Um, so I will be running, I think, a two-table game of Predation, which is a cipher system game that it, the setting is like, Basically, in our future, time travel is discovered, and they send a bunch of researchers and people back to the Cretaceous when there are dinosaurs around and all sorts of marine reptiles and all sorts of, you know, cool critters, and um, time travel stops working. So the, the oh, portals, okay. they were, yeah, so they get stuck there, and um, it's a little like Horizon Zero Dawn, which kind of came out concurrently. So there's, like, interesting levels of weird tech, but also salvaging components around you. Di- dinosaur companions, um, like, they're, they're really, like, living amongst the dinosaurs. And uh, a- another player, like, plays your companion, oh. which I think is a really interesting mechanic. Um, so Troy, Troy Pitchel- Pitchelman and I are going to... Um, uh, who, who co-runs my podcast, Cypherspeak. Uh, we're going to run a two-table thing, and without spoiling anything, there's going to be interaction amongst the tables. Oh. So we're at least running that, and I'm really excited. Very, very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Darcy, thank you so much for being here. For everyone that's in chat now and who may, who may be listening in the future, thank you for joining us. Again, I thought this was a fabulous conversation. So I had so much fun. Thank you for thank being you. here. Thanks for chat, for chatting with us and asking questions. It always makes it more fun when we can interact with people. Yeah. Um, thank you, everybody. Until next time, this has been Michael. And Darcy. And we will see you then. And we got to do an awkward wave out. Until I until I get the thing moved in the button, so just keep, keep waving. waving. Really weird, yeah. <laughs> keep waving. There it is. I'm almost there. Almost there. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG. Our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google+, at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. 
Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.